Today's reading is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, which can be found on page 1108 of the Church Bibles. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us within him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. So as we continue our series through Ephesians, Beth's going to come and speak to us this morning. So let's just uh, pray for Beth now together. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your heart and mind through your holy word. We thank you that in the pages of scripture we learn more about you and we learn about your character and your power to transform our lives. So we pray that you would anoint Beth's words, that as she speaks we would hear you speaking to us and our lives would be changed. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Right, if I could just have my first slide up. So, uh, I said this to the 9.30 congregation, and they were nice to me. So I think I'm going to dare come forward. I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to start with a joke. So tomatoes at the ready. Feel free to groan. But they didn't throw tomatoes, so I dare to stand a little closer. So here we go. There was once a woman. She was walking down the road, and suddenly she saw a car stopped in front of her with smashed Easter eggs all around it. And a little confused, she went over to the driver, and he was there in tears. She said, why are you crying? And he rubbed his eyes and pointed in front of the car, and he said, look, I have just killed the Easter bunny. What are we going to do? It's okay, she said. Don't worry, I am prepared. She reached into her handbag, pulled out a can, sprayed it all over him. Up jumps the Easter bunny, and he's off. What happened, said the man. Well, says the lady, this says it revives lifeless hair. <laughs> oh, I even got a bit of a laugh. Excellent. <laughs> so I was going to apologise, but maybe you enjoyed it. But we laugh. We laugh, hooray, because of the terrible wordplay on the word hair. But also because we know a fundamental truth about life and death. When you're dead, you're dead. Hairspray or no hairspray, you do not come back to life. So what is going on in this morning's reading? Look, it started, 
as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. But then later on, Paul says, but God made us alive in Christ. So that's what we're thinking about this morning. What does it mean? And we're continuing a study in Ephesians that started last week. If you missed the first session that Matthew gave, do go and listen again. But I think that we have come in chapter 2 to the very heart of what it is that Paul was saying to the Ephesians. And the heart of what he's saying to us today as well. You see, if I had to sum up the whole of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I think this is what I'd say. We are made alive in Christ and we need to live like it. That's what Paul's saying. So last week, Matthew kicked us off with chapter one, reminding us that none of us is here by accident. God loves us. God chose us. And God has a purpose for us. And you know what? This letter, well, it's perhaps best known for some of the instructions it gives on how to live. But what's really important is that Paul starts with Christ. And in fact, you can loosely divide the letter into two halves. The first three chapters are all about the good news, that God loves us, that Christ came to die for us, that our sins can be forgiven, that God has a purpose for us. The first three chapters are so wonderfully hopeful. If life is tough, go home and read it. It made a difference to me this week when I was having a bad day. It might make a difference to you. Read the first three chapters of Ephesians. But then you see, that's what sets us up for the second three chapters, which then go into some practical details of, so what do we do? We are alive in Christ. What does that mean? But this morning, I am so privileged to be able to talk about this central message. What does it mean to be alive in Christ? So let's take a look at the first slide here. What is it we're going to do? Well, we're going to continue to talk about what this means. We're alive in Christ. What's that all about? And then I thought we ought to look at being saved by grace and by God, not by works. You heard that. Let's unpack that a bit more. And then we're saved for a purpose. So let's, let's uh, get the first slide up and get on with this and find out what it is that God's got to say. You see, the challenge that we have at the beginning is that Paul is talking about us being dead when patently, before we were Christians, we were walking around alive. What is he getting at? Why is he using such harsh and shocking language? And it's interesting, I think when people first heard that, it would have really cut through. But quite often, we've read this so often that it's kind of lost its impact. And we don't, we don't feel the shock factor of it all. And, and that's why I quite like uh, how Eugene Peterson puts it in contemporary idiom using the message. So I thought I'd read it to you. But if you've got your Bibles there, keep it open. Um, then you can just compare the two versions as we read it. But listen to this. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like, when we felt like it, all of us in the same boat. You know, it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. 
instead immense in mercy and with an incredible love he embraced us he took our sin dead lives and made us alive in Christ he did all this on his own with no help from us then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus our Messiah don't you want to shout hallelujah or amen or even just yes isn't that just brilliant news and you know what I really like I like the way he says the old stagnant life that just gets it for me when Paul says and the, the straight Greek translation is dead in our transgressions well it's what we were wasn't it we were leading a life that was flat stagnant lifeless and not the best we could be and even when we did the best we could because we didn't have God well it wasn't all it could be we were just living in the shadows and just like a dead man there was absolutely nothing that we ourselves could do to change it but but look what it says but God but then immense in mercy and with an incredible love he embraced us he took our sin dead lives and made us alive in Christ do you notice what it says here look Paul doesn't say that he took our sin dead lives and removed the sin well that was just part of it Paul says God took our shadow-like existence and brought us into the light. Everything changes when you're made alive with Christ. So let's throw the next slide up and think about someone that this really made a difference to. Because there are some people, aren't there? Some people, you probably know a few who are now Christians, but before... Well, their life was in such a state that I suppose the world would have given up on them. Maybe somebody like John Newton. We know him because he wrote Amazing Grace. We know a lot about him. But, you know, I found out that actually his life had kind of gone wrong from a really early point. This is what happened in his very first job. He was working for a merchant in his office and he was dismissed because of unsettled behaviour and impatience of restraint. So, already first job and he was out. And later on, he was in the Royal Navy, but he deserted. And he was captured and disciplined, but the message just didn't get through. Because he wrote himself, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. So, when in a terrible storm at sea, he called out to the Lord to save him, he had no merit, which meant that this should happen. And so he thought it a complete miracle when God came through to him. And that was the start of his journey with God. That's what prompted him to write Amazing Grace, that we sing so often, we're going to sing it later this, mo this morning. Listen to these words. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind but now I see. And you know what's interesting? No matter how good or bad we might have appeared in the eyes of the world before we became Christians, 
somehow we all seem to sing these words and they mean something to us. It's clearly not a measure of how good the world thought we were before that we're able to join in with John Newton's words. And I think they express something deep within us. And it's because Newton didn't write, Amazing Grace, You Forgave My Sins, because there was so much more. It was a complete transformation. He wrote about freedom. He wrote about coming into the light. Our old stagnant lives suddenly had new meaning and purpose. Well, compared to what we knew before, and without any way of changing it ourselves, that's what God did. He made us alive through his grace. So perhaps the time has come for us to unpack what we might mean by this word grace. I have the next slide up. There we go. Now, uh, I have to say, I was reading some Philip Yancey the other day, and he starts off his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, by saying, I'm not going to try to define grace. I'm going to tell you lots of stories instead. I'm afraid I am going to use somebody's definition of grace. But just remember, the stories tell it so much more. And actually, John Stott wrote an awful lot of books and told an awful lot of stories. And I think, in a way, what he has to say here is a sort of summary of, of his, his wisdom as well. So let's listen to this. John Stott said, Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. What do you think? Sound about right? The reason I like this is because fundamentally, well, grace is not a word for us, but it's a word about God. And this turns it all on its head, doesn't it? It's not about who deserves to find favour with God. It's about God. The God who loves, who cares, who stoops, and who rescues. He rescues us from our shadow-like existence. The place that we find ourselves when we try to live without Christ. Now, we've argued that we were dead in our transgressions or mired in that old stagnant life. So how does this understanding of grace help us to come back to life? And the thing is, if you're dead, there's nothing you can do. But God can care and stoop and rescue. And to illustrate this, I thought you might like to hear a bit of John Stott's own story. Because the thing is that John Stott was brought up in a Christian environment. He went to a Christian school. And as he grew up, he... He was a good man. That's what the world would have told him. And yet, by grace, he slowly became aware that he was living in the shadowlands. And by grace, that God could set him free. And by grace, that did change. And this is what he said. Looking back over a long life, I have often asked myself what it was that brought me to Christ. Why I am a Christian is due ultimately neither to the influence of my parents or teachers nor to my own personal decision for Christ, but to the hound of heaven. That is, it is due to Jesus Christ himself, who pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running away from him, in order to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. So we see that, that grace is about more than just the moment of salvation. It's much bigger than that, much longer lasting. Grace is there when we're living in the shadowlands. 
before we even know about it. And because of God's grace, he keeps on persistently and graciously loving us. And through that love, through Christ's death on the cross, he opens up a way for us to find real life. As I look back on my own life, I can see the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven. I can see the grace notes from my early life, even when I didn't really understand them. And I can see the grace notes that are keep on happening now. But you know, I don't want to leave it there. Let's put the last slide up here. In fact, Paul's letter won't let me leave it here. So here again, the final few lines of our reading. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is all about that being chosen by God for a purpose and called to live out our faith as those who are alive in Christ. This means that he is going to make a difference through us. We are his hands and his feet. His grace is going to act in our lives and we will see what he is going to do. Remember Newton? Well, after his conversion, he didn't quit his job. He kept on. He went back to sea, first as a mate and then as a captain on a number of slave ships, because he hoped that as a Christian, he could reduce the worst excesses of the slave trade. He said he hoped to promote the life of God in the soul of both his crew and his African cargo, the slaves that he wanted to see meet with God. Later on, Then he became a minister and became well-respected by many in the establishment, including a young member of parliament, William Wilberforce, who was undergoing a crisis of conscience. And his religious convictions meant he was considering leaving parliament. And Newton said to him, no, you stay there. You keep on doing what you're doing because that is where God is going to use you. And we know that he did, don't we? We know that because of some of the things that William Wilberforce did, then the slave trade was abolished. God uses people where they are, when they are truly alive in Christ. So what can we conclude? Put the final slide up. What about us? We have heard that God has chosen us, that he's offered us his free gift of grace. What does it mean for you to be alive in Christ? What purposes has he prepared for you? How is grace going to work out in your lives? Maybe I can close with a prayer that Paul prayed as he wrote to the Ephesians. Let's pray it here today. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.